pretty okay with the fact that it might not be fine. And I think I just kept repeating in my head the like goal was to get to the start line uninjured. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the next episode. If you're listening to this on time, now it's 2022. In all honesty, I had a intro recorded a week ago that now is completely irrelevant because new variants keep popping up and I was talking about how normal 2022 is going to be. So while it's still on the bend, I spoke too soon and I don't want to jinx it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know there will be races, especially in the States, especially in Canada. I think we know how to navigate these things. Quick note too, Emma and I do talk a bit about the situation in BC that now is a few weeks old, but I do think the topic needs to be kind of hammered home because I don't think we've seen the last of the crazy weather changes, so I left that in as well. And Happy New Year. First episode back. That's it. I'm just going to insert that here and then the rest will stay the same. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Knack Nutrition. So I want you guys to go to knackbar.com and check out this amazing nutrition. Canada, US, use discount code TRW for 15% off. What's amazing about these guys is they're using sustainable ingredients to help fight climate change, and that really freaking matters. And if you're in BC, you know why. We had extreme heat, and now we have floods, and the shit is fucking with our world, and the one thing that we can do is start to support companies that care. So get on board, check them out. Their bars have the best check texture to get down mid-race, mid-long run, and they also have, also, they also, they also have waffles and protein and it's all delicious. Again, knackbar.com, TRW, 15% off. Come say hi at hillsport55 on Instagram, and there's a link in my bio to all this stuff if you need it there. Today's episode is with Emma Nunn, and it needs to be addressed that I was calling her noon like the electrolyte tab because my brain just took one of the ends and turned it into a U. And I need to make a disclaimer that sometimes my brain does this. And so if I'm like getting something from the bulk section, and it has those four little numbers to like buy nuts or something, I will mix them up every time. Never once will it be right. And I'll have like, if it's one, two, three, four, I'll write down like four, three, one, two. And then the guy will sit there and look super confused and panicked as to why he can't type the code in. And I'm like, try a different combo of those same numbers and it works every time. So what do Emma and I talk about today? Her first 100K, primarily. But she had a pretty cool upbringing and it was very similar to my story. So it was fun actually to talk to her where she was really involved with sports as a kid, but suffered some head injuries and head injuries actually isn't something we've talked about too much on the podcast. So it was interesting to talk about those and having to kind of step away and look at life from a different angle for a little bit um, until she found trail running. And then her races and her running really did shift her goals and the distances because of the pandemic. And she was able to deal with the letdown of races and goals being canceled over and over again so well. I was so impressed. So the fact that she got to do Finless in 100K and had an amazing experience and did so well at it this year was such a nice, awesome reward to be like, finally all this hard work paid off. So we dive into her life and then the shifting in goals like we just talked about and then finally what that race was like. So it was a lot of fun and Emma's awesome. So go, I don't know, find her on Strava and give her kudos. Okay, here she is. Okay, I'm with Emma who is currently in Port Alberni who I have been working with actually for the past almost two years now through the pandemic, through the fires, and now through the floods, while she works for SAR over there, among many other things, as well as just completing her first 100K. So many things to get into today. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, thanks for having me. So you're currently 27. Yes. And living on the island. For our listeners, tell us a bit, before we get into your running history, everything that you are involved in, because it's quite the list. It's long, yeah. Um, I I work for BC Ambulance. I'm a paramedic uh, on the island, and I volunteer with our local Grand Sar um, rescue squad in Alberni here. And I uh, briefly worked for Parks Canada doing some rescue this summer as well. So 
and I run all the time, so I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> you are, yes. But you do an amazing job of getting all of your runs in too, which I'm always impressed. At like funny times of day, yeah. <laughs> so let's start. Actually, you know what? Like I'm getting messages from people who are listeners from other parts of the world that have seen what's going on in the Pacific Northwest right now. And this will be a little bit old news by the time this comes out, but it's pretty interesting. Um, just the climate change that has gone on and how bad the fires and the heat waves were in the summer. And now the hardest rainfall that I've ever experienced in my life, which caused massive mudslides and all of the highways in BC are basically shut down with people being rescued. People have been trapped in their cars or killed in their cars um, and major floods, livestock being flooded. And I wasn't thinking I was going to go on this rant, but here I am because you are in search and rescue and dealing with some of this stuff. How has this impacted you guys? Just tell us a bit about like what's going on over there. Yeah, uh, we actually got lucky here in Alberni. Uh, we weren't affected anywhere near as bad as um, you guys were on the mainland or um, down in the South Island. But um, some of the things that we were seeing up near us are just like logging road washouts and uh, rivers and lakes coming up over highways, a little more stranding. But I think in our particular neck of the woods, really heavy rainfall is kind of par for the course. So our infrastructure is prepared for pretty heavy rainfall. We don't have any like, you know, high rises, um, like overpasses on highways like they do in the Fraser Valley. Uh, right. Over on the east side of the island, sort of on the edge of our response area, um, there was some trailer parks that sit low below the water table line that are flooded. Um, some communities in that area as well, that neighborhood as well, that had to be evacuated from their homes because the, um, like the rivers rose so quickly. Uh, and then, yeah, down the South Island, same as on the mainland, like highways washed out and whole communities flooded and yeah, pretty scary stuff. It is. And I guess the reason I just wanted to touch on it is like, we are all so avid outdoorsy people that I just think it's important when these like crazy changes so obviously happen. Not that I think any of our listeners are non-believers in climate change, that it's like, especially having kids, we have to do what we can for our kids to grow up in a world that doesn't have disasters like this over and over again that are partially escalated due to like man-made care of the environment that we're doing. That for sure. make a lot of sense. For for sure. and, and language is important, right? Like even just relating these terrible events this year and like directly saying, yeah, this is, this is climate change. Yeah. Um, you'd like people, people need to start doing that. Even if they don't think that the group that they're in or the audience that they have are non-believers, but, you know, I've been sitting in on meetings and reading emails about this, well, for this particular situation, for sure, but all year. And the line, what a year, or wow, what a year, even if that person believes in climate change, like, just to me sounds like that's indicating that this is a coincidence, that it's just a rough year for BC. Like, it's yeah, not. It's know. not. No. Well, good. Well, thank you for starting this podcast on that, on that note, on a more positive note. Let's talk about your running and your history and the amazing strides, no pun intended, that you have made over the last few years, especially during a pandemic when it was like, okay, I know you were trying to get into Boston and going to do Chicago and like hit after hit of things that were canceled um, and still able to like come through and adjust your plans and, and do so well. So your story's pretty cool. Let's start with the beginning about your athletic history as a kid what sports did you play where did you grow up that sort of thing sure um I'm from Toronto Ontario uh I grew up as one of those kids that played like every single sport you know in elementary school when you can just there's no rules nobody actually has to be that good at it if you're like kind of fast and a bit bigger then you just play every single sport so mm -hmm. I pretty much played every single sport through <laughs> elementary school and then as I got older uh, like middle school and high school I played soccer for a little while, I pretty much played soccer, like, you know, house league, non-competitive for like all of adolescence. But I, in high school, I played rugby and I ran track and cross country and, and I swam. Those are probably the heaviest hitters. Um, I, and I ran always. I was like the fast kid on the team. I, at first I was the big kid on the team because I'm like five, four and three quarters now. And I have been this height since I was 11. So there was a period of time where I was like a beast in any sport. Um, but that, uh, dissipated quickly when everybody else got taller than me. 
Um, but I always, I always ran. That was like usually the position that I held in, in team sports is that I was like the fast person. So I, I liked running, but I trained and I like ran on the roads in Toronto as a teenager because I knew like that was my strength. So it was an enjoyable experience going out on runs and I liked the independence, but I did it to be good at team sports, not to be a good runner. Um, like without that, uh, I had aspirations of going to play sports in university, but I suffered a number of head injuries and had to kind of take a sidestep after high school. It took a gap year, you know, plan on upgrading some courses and sort of reevaluating. But I figured while I'm reevaluating, <laughs> I may as well move to Whistler <laughs> and be a ski bum for six months um, was the plan. But that was in 2012. And I still live in BC. I didn't leave Whistler for five years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like slipped and fell into being a ski bum for a long time. Um, and it didn't do great things for my running career, but it was like for sure the most formative um, like mountain love years. Uh, I mean, head injuries are tough anyway. Being a teenager is tough because you're so dramatic, but the combo of the two is pretty tough. Um, How did you get your head injuries? Rugby. <laughs> I wondered, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's an important thing that we actually haven't spoken about too much on the podcast. It's so funny. Our stories are so similar, but I also had head injuries, and it was like, and I'm a little bit older than you, but still, at the time, they didn't realize how bad those can really be, and even if you are starting to show less symptoms at the time, that they can come back later on in life, and then if you, especially in a sport like rugby, which was similar to the sports I was playing you can get a bunch of tiny concussions that compound into something that then is symptomatic. Oh later. yeah, absolutely. Totally. It's, it's, um, it, it's funny. Like I, the, when I was told I couldn't play rugby anymore, that was, um, the fall of 2011. And I think I had, there's sort of a, we're not really too sure because I was having some pretty bad post-concussion symptoms and I was passing out all the time. I, oh yeah. Um, when I was in high school, but I, I'd sort of had a couple episodes where I'd fallen from fainting or from having like little syncope episodes, but I'd hit my head Yeah, in my last year of high school. So I, I wasn't really in class for that last year. I was like struggling quite a bit. I was really nauseous and in lots of pain and dizzy, like pretty much the whole year. Um, but 2012 was sort of the turning point for um, head injuries, like especially in adolescence. It, people, it just all of a sudden was tabooed again, right? Like if anybody hit their head or it was, you know, seen that you hit your head on a, on the field, you were pulled off right away and you had to go undergo these concussion, you know, assessments. And they were preliminary compared to what I think a lot of um, high schools have adopted now. But all of a sudden people were starting to pay attention when I became symptomatic. So at the time when my, you know, my priority wasn't my health, my priority was playing sports. Like I was just mm -hmm. a sporty kid and I didn't, want anything except to like play sports forever. Um, so I was actually quite frustrated thinking like, well, I've hit my head way worse. How come right now I'm not allowed to play anymore? Like how come yeah. right now I have to sit the game out? Whereas like I'm fine. Um, and whether or not those head injuries were compounding and that's why I was so sick or, you know, the combination of like the mental health crisis of being 17 and having your whole identity tied around being an athlete. And now you're not, and you can't even like jog without getting nauseous like definitely some compounding things there. Um, but that was a pretty rough year uh, with physically and mentally feeling terrible. Did you have to do anything to heal your brain or was it just time? Uh, time, time and like actually giving it the time, not, not just waiting and carrying on with life. Like I couldn't, you know, I wasn't doing screens and I couldn't really sit in the classroom. I don't think I wrote a test from like November of the school year till I don't even think I wrote my final exams. Like I wasn't, I wasn't flexing my brain muscle at all, like as much as possible. Um, I think I tried swimming during the swim season in the winter and the, the feeling of diving into the water made me so nauseous that sometimes I'd like throw up in the pool. <laughs> um, oh my God. So, that is yeah, terrifying. Like, oh yeah. It was awful. It was like an awful time. I'm really glad that it, lasted less than a year. Um, what, what did your parents think or say during this time when you were like, okay, I'm going to go across the country to Whistler? Yeah. Now that I'm a, still a health liability, I'm going to move far away from you. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think that they were actually really all that happy about it. My parents had actually moved to the States when I'd finished high school. 
So I, if I was going to stay living with them, I was living in Houston where I couldn't get a job because I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to school there. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a social circle. So I think they knew I couldn't stay there. Um, I don't think that they thought snowboarding every day was going to be the best <laughs> healing for my head injuries, which that's a fair, that's a fair line of thought, I suppose, for them. Um, but I, they were supportive. Like I was 18 and they knew that I'm, um, I guess, opinionated and dedicated. So if I decided I was moving to Whistler, there wasn't really much that they were going to do that was going to stop me. Uh, so I, I did move out West and I was thankfully head injury free or still, still to this day, head injury free. Um, and it's not, I, I, I think though there's risk associated with mountain sports, of course, um, you're a little bit more in control of the risk that you take. Like obviously in a ski resort, you know, people can still hit you and you can still catch an edge and fall. Like you can still make little mistakes, but if you're not riding above your level or like riding in scary terrain that you're not prepared for conditions that aren't ideal, like you are definitely more on the driver's seat than if you're on a field and you can't tell how much faster or stronger the other players are that, that can hit you. Um, so it could have just been a fluke, but I didn't, I didn't really suffer at all. Like my, um, physical symptoms had started to subside by the time I moved to Whistler and mentally my, uh, my whole mental health scenario turned on a 180 when I moved out there because I, sort of was able to re-identify re with sports, just being snowboarding. Um, I didn't know anybody. So there wasn't this, like, I, I felt this pressure in high school of I'm supposed to be the jock and I can't even like walk without feeling nauseous, but nobody in my new life knew that. So I could, you know, re-identify with this like snowboarder from the middle of the country that's now living on the West coast. And most of my friends weren't even from Canada so that it, like it was just an entirely different scenario, like social scenario to be in. Um, and that really allowed, uh, psychologically me some time to heal for sure. Um, and I just had an awesome time. Like I guess snowboarding and any mountain sport really allowed for me to feel successful and, um, proud of what my body was doing, which for that year I didn't at all. And I was like really hard on myself. I don't think I realized even at the time of moving out West that that's what I was missing when I stopped playing sports, but for that to be such a huge part of my life to then like go this period of time without feeling like successful, that's hard. Um, and as soon as I found that again in the mountains and in snowboarding, I was kind of felt like I was back on top and that huge rush of having a wicked time, like feeling really physically and mentally great um, enjoying my new life. Like, of course I wasn't going to move. <laughs> I wasn't going to go home after six months. So I guess the whole thing was a bit, I, I was addicted to that, to all of that. And I stayed for quite a long time. <laughs> Do you have any fear that like, when you look back now and you use the word proud, um, and accomplished, but also that like being good at sports was making you feel like, worthy and now being like you're a good runner and doing all of these other things but like what if they were to go like do you think you're in a place where you understand that like you can still feel those things just for being you yeah I I try to keep that in check like all the time I think um actually a few months after you and I started working together Hillary when I was training for Vancouver that it eventually got canceled and I had some just like silly knee niggle like like a classic <laughs> classic person who runs on the road without doing strength knee niggle um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't run I couldn't run for like a short period of time but it felt catastrophic and I remember thinking like oh you're doing it again <laughs> you know like it's fine you can do other things like there's other parts of your life where you know you're you're worthy and so I, it was a little bit of a, a check of course, I was able to run two and a half weeks after I started feeling <laughs> dramatic. Um, but it, but it was a check. So uh, I like will go out of my way to think that on runs to like remind my, especially on bad runs, where like, no, no, this isn't your whole life. You're not a professional runner. There's like many aspects of your world that have nothing to do with running, and will carry on if you can't run tomorrow. So totally, it's such a like, and I ask because it's such a common 
thing where it's like these sports make us feel so good, but there's such a line between being like, they're not the only reason we should feel good too. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting thing because I can definitely relate. And I think so many of my guests can, where it's like finding kind of your place, um, which is also why the trail running community is kind of cool because it then becomes so much just about you trying to improve instead of you versus other people. And I think that helps with some of this. Totally, totally. Yeah. Like pace doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I want to get a bit into the recent races you've done, but first let's touch a bit on, because I also think this is interesting. And another thing that a lot of people go through (laughs) is you are snowboarding a lot. You're in Whistler, you're feeling good. But obviously, as you said, like a lot of your friends are not from Canada when you're there because it basically is a young people's party town where people go after school to hang out for a bit. And it's easy (laughs) to get caught up in that party lifestyle. Um, and you did mention that like you weren't running very well because it's, (laughs) I quote, super hard to run if you, A, don't do it and E and P eat and drink like crap. And I was like, in there. Um, was there a time when you were like, Oh, I can't just get away with things, treating my body like this. And like something that made you want to change to start to train a bit. Yeah. I actually, it's so funny. Like, you know, when you're in it, you never realize that you've gained weight and the people that were around me, like I wasn't, I wasn't the one in the group that was gaining weight. Like everybody was partying. All of us were drinking like crap. But I remember going home and like friends and family from back home giving like little nudges to like, hey, kind of what's going on? Like, you know, you've gained literally 30 pounds and you've gained it all to your neck. Like what's going on? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I still- I was just going to say, like, I need to make a disclaimer. Gaining 30 pounds isn't a big deal if it's just like that's what's going on in life. But when you're- swollen 30 pounds <laughs> because you're clearly drinking too much then that is like a different thing yeah the, the, looking back at pictures is like one of the funniest things that I can show people that didn't know me back then and like have only known me to be like a very long distance runner they're always like that's not true that can't be real and then I show them pictures and it's this fun game um anyway yeah <laughs> I, look at how many cheeks I had in this picture <laughs> yeah look I just why was I carrying all of my weight in my armpits and my neck who knows where <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying it wasn't a good look um but I, I I dismissed those little nudges and like now thinking back on them that's what they were they were just nudges and with the best intentions but I was completely dismissive of them I didn't think anything was wrong I still identified as an athlete personally so I didn't feel like I needed to do anything to improve where I was um and I actually it's funny because I mean you and so many of your listeners live in this area but I uh went on my first wet like BC hike I think it was a few summers into to living in, in Whistler maybe one or two and I did an overnight up like Panorama Ridge Black Tusk area and it was the hardest friggin thing I've ever done in my whole life I was basically in tears when I got to stop Panorama Ridge which is hilarious thinking like you know I'm basically I'm a mountaineer I'm one step below mountaineer I had my running shoes on and getting down like coming back down we were talking to people standing around one of the trail signs and somebody had mentioned that they'd run up there. Like there, there was mentioned to people having run up there. I was like, what did you say? You, you didn't say run. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. People like there used to be this race that you'd come up from Chekhamis and you go through this area and you come back down Garibaldi. And I was like, you can't, how could you, you can't, <laughs> that's impossible. Nobody, nobody could run up here. Like, yeah, it takes so long for your mind to ra- wrap around that. I, and you're like, no, I was so no, far from even being a road runner at that time. And even when I was running, I was running like 10 Ks on sidewalks in Toronto. Like the, it was so far removed from what I thought running was. So I got, what got down from this hike and I was like doing this research and I found the, the run that everybody was talking about in the route. And I'm like reading trip reports. So these people are real. They can't actually, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't lying. I was like, all right, well maybe I'll try. I'll just see what happens if I go for a run. So this is like probably 2014, maybe 2015, a few years into the the neck weight. And um, <laughs> it took me, I think, an hour and 15 minutes to run four kilometers on the paved valley trail at Whistler, <laughs> um, awesome. which was awful. Like that's, I mean, you know, run at your own speed, but nothing felt good. It wasn't like I was cruising along, like smelling the flowers for an hour and 15 minutes. This was like terrible. I was sore. Everything hurt. I felt nauseous, like the worst. And I kind of, that was the beginning of the realization of like, okay, hang on a second. You've seemed to have lost a little bit of the things that you thought you still had. <laughs> um, so I, I tried 
getting back into running like slowly from then. And I think it was maybe once or twice a week, slow road runs for a year, if once or twice a week. And it would just be like home from work kind of thing. Take the bus to work and then I'd run home. Um, and I, and I guess that all adds up in the end. And I like eventually got back up to being able to have a conversation while I was jogging. Um, but I, cause I, it's so funny if you run when you're a kid and people would always make running like a punishment, you know, in gym class or like people would say, I don't know why you run. It's terrible. It's the worst thing ever. And I never understood that. I, I never felt bad running, running always felt good. Even when I was pushing, it was like a good hurt that day running my hour and 15 minute 4k. I was like, okay, <laughs> This is why everybody hates the sport. <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, yeah, and then and then so slowly after that, I was like building up a little bit of endurance, and even I was just hiking more and uh, moving further away from the like underground nightclub scene at Whistler, and a little more into the like actually enjoying the beautiful scenic place that you live, Whistler. Into the daylight. Uh, yeah, into the daylight. Yeah, for sure. Waking up before eleven. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I it actually wasn't until I left Whistler I moved away to start my career. Uh, so I moved away from like a social net, a social circle, any social circle. I didn't have any friends when I moved, but the, for sure a social circle that loved to drink. Uh, and I started working night shifts. You can't party if you're working night shifts. So oddly enough, I dropped a bunch of weight and got fast again. <laughs> Weird how that happens. Super strange how that happens. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, like when I, night shifts are such a hindrance for training, but they're probably the reason why I run again. Like actually run. Yeah, that is, yeah, oxymoron, I guess, is the it is, yeah. term, right? Yeah. But it's like, it's almost like you had a running rock bottom, eh? Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't even think I would have actually known what my rock bottom was because even by the time that I'd done my hour and 15 minute 4K, that's, I was already like, I'd bought camping gear and I was hiking like the real rock bottom would have been if you asked me to run a kilometer in like the spring of 2013, that would have been, I don't know. I don't think I could have done it. Just in like hundred meter increments, maybe I would have done it, but I <laughs> <laughs> would have survived on a snowboard. Yeah. I like, I knew that you had picked up running and having like more serious goals again, more recently, but this is like in the grand scheme of things, quite recent in your life, considering like just doing a hundred K in the trails and doing quite well at it. So you start running again, you're starting to work night shifts, starting to feel a bit more fit. What was it that made you think like, okay, now let's see maybe how well I can do at running and actually train for specific races and specific goal times. Uh, well, it was, I was up living in Fort St. John. That's where I started my career. And oh, okay. yeah, I, I wanted to race again. I've always liked the competition. Like I loved competing as a kid and I wanted to race again. I knew that that would help with my motivation, especially because training in Fort St. John, it's so cold. Like you want a goal to get out there, um, really helps with your motivation. But I didn't want to race a road race because I did that when I was a teenager. And I knew despite feeling fitter and better, I knew I was never going to be as fast as I was when I was like 15 and somebody was cooking meals for me and I didn't have a job. Um, (laughs) So the I glory decide, days, <laughs> you know, like, but really though, like as an athlete, if you're going to, if you're going to hit it home, it's going to be then when you don't have, Oh yeah. Ever. I peaked at 15. If only I had known how good it was back then. Yeah, totally. Like if somebody had told me it's never going to be this easy, you know, somebody's making your food when you come home from your running practice. <laughs> um, if only that happened now. Anyways, I, I didn't want to do any kind of event that like we could closely resemble that comparison game. Um, so I signed up for a 20 K trail race cause I had never run that far and I'd never ran on the trails in Toronto. Um, so I figured even if I bombed, it wouldn't be, I would just do badly, but I wouldn't know, you know, it wasn't like I'd be comparing myself to my times and, and what, you know, like we all know pace, you stop worrying about pace and you're going more on feel. Um, so really the transition to the trails was actually kind of an accident. It was just a way to like protect my mental health when I got back into racing, but moving into training on the trails, then, you know, like now I'm running in way more beautiful places and I'm not looking at my watch or looking at pace and I'm running with people and, you know, with dogs and exploring the area that I lived in. So like it accidentally ended up being a huge part of my life. Um, when I left, I, so I, I raced that 20 K it was so fun. It was like hilarious. Cause it's a 20 K race in Tumblr Ridge, which is like you don't accidentally find Tumblr Ridge on the map. Like you don't stumble across it driving somewhere else. You have to go out of your way to get there. But everybody <laughs> in the Northeast runs this race. 
And so anybody that ran that was up there was at this race, which was pretty cool. It was my first taste at like, you know, a small kind of grassroots community feel at a, at a run. And the right. start line is like, you know, in a gravel pit, essentially, like you park on one half of the gravel pit and then the start line is in the other half of the gravel pit. So remember, like just comparing to, you know, huge, monstrous 10K or 5Ks in Toronto, it's so different. So I liked it yes. so much more. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was the the hook, I guess, getting into that first race, the first like training block and then the first race. And then after that, it was like, wow, that's what I want to do. Like this felt good and these people were wicked and weird and I, I feel at home. So yeah, that was, that was the, the big transition. And then, so when we started working together, however, your goal was a road marathon. So is that just something that's always been interesting to you or yeah, what I, was it about that particular distance? I think, um, well, I'd run before we started working together, I'd run Edinburgh. It was my first marathon. Um, and I think, I've always had my eye on the marathon as being like the, the impossible. And I figured, well, a marathon is only slightly more than double this trail run that I had just done. So I'd signed up for Edinburgh, I think like the day after I'd run this trail run. And part of the reason was because my parents were living in the UK at the time. And so it was a cool way to, you know, travel. Like all of a sudden I'm paying attention to these like really cool marathons everywhere in the world. I had no intention of, qualifying for anything. I didn't know, I didn't even know what a good time in a marathon was. Like I really didn't. And I didn't have any training plan and I probably ran long runs. I don't know, three times to four times, like a lot of times, not a lot of speed work. <laughs> Just <laughs> ran slow and for a long time. Um, but my, my dad was a fast marathoner in his day. So I remember you saying that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was a well, well sub three hour marathoner. Um, oh, wow. yeah. So it, Part of it was I, I knew what the marathon was and I knew about the marathon because there's like pictures of my dad and he was always wearing marathon shirts, even though it wasn't really in my lifetime. And he talked about it like it was the glory day. So it was cool to run my first one where he was and have him be there. Like that was a pretty big um, like emotional experience for our family and everybody came out and watched and it was fun. But after that, I just thought, well, I can I'll still train on the, the trails here like sometimes. But yeah, these like traveling around for big marathons, like this seems like this would be great for my family to go on vacations, essentially. We were planning them as a, my whole family, like all 16 of us, which oh, city so I'm cool. going to go and run a marathon so we can like party basically. Yes, no, I hear that. Yeah. Um, but then of course, like when I started working with you, um, I wanted to qualify for Boston and then everything got canceled. <laughs> all the races got canceled. So I was just running more trail anyway because then like goals switched to just big adventure runs instead of races so I had to spend way less time running long on the road and I could spend way more time running long on trails which there's tons of around here um so then yeah I guess the longer the adventure days the more they felt comfortable and good and honestly Finney was that was kind of a pipe dream I couldn't Yeah, so let's get into that because that's what I'm trying to like piece together because so the marathons were getting canceled and it was very like little bits at a time of being like, well, do you think I could run a 50k on my own? Which when you haven't done that distance before, you don't need the race to make that exciting. And you were so consistent with training and your mileage was so good. It was like, yeah, you could totally safely do that. Um, But it did escalate to the 100k. Quite quickly. And I think I was like, anybody else, I would be like, this isn't safe. But um, you were being so consistent that it kind of felt like, okay, if we pretend and shift our mindset and say, maybe you secretly have been training for this for the last two years, then like, yeah, we're in a place to get it done. Um, Not as many, like really long weekends as would have been ideal had we known, like, say, four months earlier that you were going to do this. But four months earlier, we didn't know if any races were going to happen ever. So then I signed up and was like, oh, you're going to have to lie on your registration and say <laughs> you've done a 50 miler before. And she, Emma was like, it's okay. I know the race director. <laughs> yeah, just, he, he'd replied to my Instagram story of me like being excited that he'd uncanceled the race. And he said, yeah, you're signing up. That's great. So I took, I took that as like, okay. 
Yeah, I can go in. And so I texted him too and was like, listen, this needs to be okay. And I think like he knew enough of your running too. And I said like, as your coach, she's going to be totally fine. And if not, like I'll piggyback her off though. Um, yeah, that's and, right. It won't be on your insurance, I promise. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll deal with this later. Don't worry. I just want to take a second to talk about our new sponsor. I get into this one. This is for our American listeners, but I do have to say that as I got to know more about this company and looked further into their website, I did not want to pass up on this opportunity for you guys because I have a very good discount code. We talk a lot about wellness and energy and fueling on this podcast. And it really is impossible to overemphasize the importance of fueling our bodies with fresh, delicious, and nutrient-rich foods before hitting the trails. But some days, this is easier said than done. So Simple Feast is really on a mission to make things easier for your family and also to make the planet a better place. They deliver 100% organic, locally sourced, plant-based meals every week. Every meal is thoughtfully designed by chefs, from Michelin-starred background to balance maximum flavors and maximum health. They're ready in 20 minutes. It's not super expensive. You get three full meals starting at $98 a week, and it's designed to be an entire feast, not just a one-bowl meal that you reheat. That's roughly $33 a dinner for two at home with leftovers. Okay, the discount. So you're going to get $35 off your first box with promo code MORETRAILS, if you go to simplefeast.com and you can find more about them at simplefeast.com backslash us. But again, you are going to get three delicious meals in your first kit with $35 off. That's a whole dinner for two with leftovers free at simplefeast.com by using the promo code more trails. Guys, you have to try this. So tell us like, First of all, our listeners know if they've listened to any of the episodes because we talked to Mike himself and I did a little race recap, uh, how big that race actually is, like 6,000 meters. So like almost 20,000 feet of elevation. It's stupid technical. It is a long freaking day. Um, if you want to know more about that race, check it out. It's called the Finless and Arm 100K. And it is just like a beast of a 100K. Tori calls it the 100K that runs like 100 mile because the times are so long. You're just out there for so long. Long. Yeah. So let's start with like when you decide to do this. Um, what was going through your mind mentally, like thinking about okay, you've done 50Ks, you've done some eight or nine hour days of like some rough terrain and training, but this is a whole new world. How did you feel going into it? Um I don't think I really knew I don't think I really knew anything. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really not doing my job. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I knew that it was going to be tough, but I had never like run in that area before. And I, I just kept thinking like, well, every time I pick a new race, I'm just doubling my distance. This is kind of the same. On a, I mean, I've run, I, was, I think I thought I was maybe even foolishly confident that it would be fine, but then like also pretty okay with the fact that it might not be fine. And I think I just kept repeating in my head the like goal was to get to the start line uninjured. <laughs> um, yeah, which is a fantastic goal. And in some sense with that mindset, there's no pressure. So, so that's, that's, that's why I kept saying that, like whatever happens after the start line, that's just a bonus. Like the training itself, like I ran in some pretty beautiful places for training and I met a lot of wicked people. So getting to the start line was like the A goal <laughs> and the rest of it was a bonus. And, and even like, at the first aid station, I was like, look, I'm in it. I'm on the course. Like, this is pretty cool. You know, if I, if something happened catastrophic in the next 10 K, at least I have like been at the aid station and I've been, you know, I've been around, <laughs> I've seen the people. So yeah, I've been, they, around to see the people. I've, been around, I've been around, I've seen them, you know, the ones that are fast. I'm now I'm seeing them in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> like you, <laughs> that was fun. The first time Emma and I ever actually met in person was on, we were on many we were somewhere in the middle of the course. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I don't think I realized it was you until you spoke the first time, like you were coming down met work, like going back. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause it was dark by then too. It was dark. Yeah. But I could hear you cause you'd said to somebody in front of us, somebody was like, Oh, you're doing great. And you were like, yeah, you too. And you haven't even met the fun part yet. And I <laughs> just sounded so much like you, even just from the podcast listening stuff. <laughs> but then you were, you were doing the, you were like sprinting down a section of the downhill that was like, there wasn't really time for me to stick my head out and be like, well, hi, Hillary, we haven't actually met in person. <laughs> so you were and, yeah. And it was pitch black and there was headlamps and I was in second place at that point. And I think I was trying to catch, um, what's her nuts. Who was in first. So it was, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It felt very panicky for only 25K into yeah. a 100K. Yeah. I mean, it seems panicky for you guys. I was not panicked. <laughs> Walking up that section of the hill. I God, that just every time we never ends. Me. That section never yeah. ends. Yeah. I just kept thinking, like, it must hurt so much to want to win these things. <laughs> you know, it's just different because I was thinking about that too, like my first 100K and feeling like, oh my God, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it never ends. And it was two hours shorter than this one was. Yeah. Um, just because the terrain was easier. So it like, it totally doesn't matter how long you're out there or how long you're pushing. It's just like, they are all hard in their own way, I think. Yeah, totally. The, um, I actually, before you and I started working together that summer that I ran Edinburgh, I did a bunch of races and one of them was a 50, but it was like, I mean, it didn't seem like a chill 50, but now in retrospect, it was a very chill 50. I think the time, (laughs) my time was like just over five hours. Like it wasn't technical at all. Um, which is again harder in its own way because it's like that's so much pounding and like actual running i never want to do a 50k where you actually have to run the whole thing so it was it honestly was running the whole time it was the it was a a wicked race for it was scenic and beautiful um but it was fast it was up it was the mount robson marathon so oh yeah the berg lake trail which is like kind of honestly like the garibaldi trail is like super well maintained almost like sidewalks in a lot of sections so it was really fast but i remember thinking like I didn't actually ever look at the at the specs. I didn't know what the elevation was. Like I just signed up and like off we go. But I remember thinking during the Finney training, well, I've done a 50, you know, and now I've done 50 twice because I ran one on my own. This is going to be fine, right? And then I kind of really close to Finlayson looked up the elevation of that race compared to Finlayson and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I thought it was at least half, but it was not even close. It was like a 10th. Yeah, um, that, there's a lot of climbing in that. Not race. technical at all, right? So, and and then I think I talked to you on the phone right around that area, and you called. You're like, "So, what do you think your time is going to be?" I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, and part of that is just to be like, like, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to. You want to have goals, but you don't want to have expectations. And then, especially on a loop course, get halfway through and realize that your expectation was so far off because there's so much unknown in this race. Um, and that's what Mike and I talked about too, is that you just can't, you can't put that pressure and let it ruin your race because maybe you don't realize that like 23 hours in a, in that hundred K is actually a good time. Finishing that race is a good time. So you don't want to give up because you're not going to be whatever. Um, so there's so, there's so many different mental aspects to it, but I'm realizing now that it was really, I thought your parents lived on the Island, but your mom was at the race. Was she not? She was, and it was a surprise. I think maybe, maybe you and I were the only ones there that didn't know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah, so it was, so like I mentioned before, uh, my dad and I have always connected over running, and he was an athlete young too. My mom, she jogs, and she's run 10Ks before, but like the connection between a parent and I was my dad and I with sports. Like I always call him and ask him for advice. Um, but mom, she decided that she was going to tap in for this weekend. And she and my best friend coordinated the surprise and like completely unbeknownst to me. I actually was even like talking some smack. We were driving down from port. Jamie, my best friend was driving and I called my mom, you know, when you can ignore phone, like ignore calls on an iPhone and you can send those like automatic texts that say like, can't talk. Can I call you later? One of those. Yeah. Yeah. So I get one of those. And I said to her, cause my mom has worked in like various business roles. She's a busy person. I said to her, I'm like, you know, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time my mom ignored my call, like, this is a big day for me. You'd think she could just answer my call. Like, Oh my God. Smack. Meanwhile, Jamie knows my mom's off the flight. She's probably at the start line already. Um, so when we get there, uh, the volunteers who were also all in on this, I guess my mom walked to the start line, like walked into the race organizing area and was like, hi, my name's Lynn. I'm here to watch my daughter, Emma. Literally goes up to Mike. Mike, who's got however many hundreds of runners to deal with over the weekend, finds the busiest person (laughs) in the whole start line to be like, hello, excuse me, I'm trying to surprise my daughter. He thought it was the best idea ever, so he assigns her volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he is so awesome. Yeah, so he was all over it. So we get our, Jamie's car gets stopped as we pull into the parking area and, and they'd said, Hey, I think that there's been a problem with your registration. Like you have to go find Mike. 
Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you'd, sent me, you'd sent me that text from Mike before the race saying that there was going to be some like bonus swag for your athletes. So I was like, oh no, this is a prank. I'm going to get some free socks or something. Like this isn't like I'm, I'm about to go get like a t-shirt for free. I'm like, okay, for sure. Like probably whatever, probably registration. I don't think so. But I thought the surprise was going to be like, yes, socks, not my mom hiding in a storage trailer around the corner. Oh my god! Yeah, she jumps out of the trailer. I like immediately burst into tears. I figured that there would have been tears on the weekend. Like, you know, it's a lot of emotions, but I did not think they'd be before the race started. <laughs> oh my God. That is the best story ever. Yeah. And then she, like, she is not a camper. She's not an outside person. This is an inside person. She's a city slicker through and through, has literally never not slept in a bed in her whole life. And there she was on the Finney weekend, like sleeping in the back of her rental Subaru out there at whatever time of night, like feeding me food. Yeah. yeah so she was at every, like she was out there all night, wasn't she? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think she, she took a nap. She took a nap probably between like the 30 and 50 K marks. Um, but then she was at the halfway and I hit the halfway like just after 3 AM and she was there. That is yeah. so, that is so cool. It was, um, it was like a, I mean, my, so Jamie was, kind of she's the organizer she's the organizer of like everything that we do but she was for sure the organizer of this weekend and my like other two very close friends one of whom is Naomi that you were coaching as well for the um Squamish 50 so they were all there by the halfway point they're all there with my mom and they're all like best friends of mine but sort of from different areas or different times of my life and my mom has never spent one-on-one time with any of them let alone with all of them like they haven't really spent much time together so every time in the middle of the night yeah let alone in the middle of the night like feeding the connection between all of them is me and they're like feeding me pickles at 4am. Nobody really knows what's going on. Like, <laughs> um, that is, I, I'm into an age so emotional thinking like, you know, these, this like collection of the best people that I know are here in the middle of the night or like in the rain, you know, none of them have slept and they're just like, they're happy and like loving each other. But yeah. As if you need more reasons for your emotions to go like out of whack while you're running one of these things. But if I'd think too hard about it, I would just cry. <laughs> But like, it is so helpful having your family there. Um, like that is just so cool. It's making me smile so big. And there's something so special about your first 100K. And I mean, I feel like parents who are close to their kids, first of all, they're scared because it sounds so crazy. Like yeah. we give ourselves time to kind of like you did the first time you heard somebody ran a crazy route, you give yourself time to kind of absorb what it means. Um, and then you work on that before you get to the start line, but the parents sometimes get to the start line still thinking like, is my kid about to die? Yeah. And they yeah, just have right. no yeah. idea. Yeah. They, so, don't, they don't know. Yeah. I, I remember yes. coming through the aid stations and I was, I, I got lucky, you know, whatever it was that everything fell together and I didn't actually feel terrible at all. I had like lows, but they weren't catastrophic and I didn't physically feel bad at all. But I remember coming through it and knowing that they were there, I was always happier anyway. So there was kind of like a bit of a misrepresentation of how I felt the whole time because I was like constantly smiling at the aid stations when I saw them. But my mom going like, some people look awful. (laughs) (laughs) And they did. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was the one thing I thought was really neat about running into you too, is you were in such great spirits every time I saw you. And the second time I saw you, I was like, Oh my God, they still have to do Mount work again. And it was, <laughs> yeah, I was finding it emotionally hard to know that people still had to do that mountain again. Cause it had just eaten me alive. Um, so it was such a interesting mind fuck, but your little group that you ran with was always so positive. And that's like, I mean, I'm sure you had some lows, like you just said, but the fact that you had people there to like bring you out of them is so huge. Yeah, the I, I mean that was another thing that fell together by accident. Like I don't know those people. I met them by accident, and like Marin and Alec, we ran sixty of the hundred kilometers together. That's a huge oh amount. It's crazy um, amount. Yeah, and we didn't like none of us had ever met. We all sort of had mutual friends because like you know the community is small of people that run for that long, I guess. But yes. it was an accident. Like Alec and I sort of fell into the same step before. I think honestly a kilometer three or four, like really early. And then just casually we're chatting kind of on the first 
few big climbs thinking that, oh yeah, like we're the same pace. Like that's cool. But not setting any expectations. There was never like a, so do you want to be my buddy for the next 20 hours? Um, But it just, it worked out that way. And I left the first aid station and he was kind of like lingering near the exit of the aid station. He's like, I hope you don't find it weird, but I think we may as well just keep jogging together. I was like, no, no, that's good. And then we picked up Marin at the next aid station. It was the same thing. Like all of us had small lows, but we were not in sync. So none, like the three of us were never low at the same time. (laughs) Which is, yeah, which is ideal because that's a lonely race if you're on your own. And I was on my own and had like nobody to talk to except for the mice in the night. So I, (laughs) yeah, I know. I'm glad that you guys had each other and um, didn't have to hallucinate cougars and such things. But we're almost running out of time here. But I do want to know, um, what was your final time again for it? 23, I think it was 23 in like a couple minutes. That is so amazing. What was your biggest low and how did you get out of it? Um, probably just after the halfway mark, going back into it, real, like having that realization of like, oh, that was so hard and now I have to do it again. <laughs> um, that was probably the biggest low feeling like all of a sudden after the halfway point, like, okay, my joints are starting to hurt and I'm tired and I have a bit of a headache. Like gels don't taste good anymore. I, and the group that I was with, I hit that low first. So I'm kind of hanging at the back of the pack at the time. We'd actually picked up a couple more stragglers. So it was an even bigger group and thinking like, Oh, these people are still feeling good. Clearly. Like maybe I'll just hang back and do my own thing for a while. But that game you play in your head, like, oh, I shouldn't actually be here. Like, the, you know, I'm a 50K runner, and now I'm at 55. So this is like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm going to probably have to tap out pretty soon here. Just like being, you know, knowing that I had to do that all over again was tough. I think that's the hardest part of the loop course is that, like, it's one thing to be like, okay, I can get through 48 kilometers. It's another thing to visually know exactly what that looks like and how far it actually is and what kind of terrain it actually is. Yeah. And, and, and like Mount Finlayson being that first big climb, like now I have to use my hands all of a sudden again, and that's like a tough climb to be doing. And, um, that was tough coming back up Jocelyn Hill the second time. Cause at that point I was alone. That was tough too. I was like very tired and I was ready at that point for it to be done. Like <laughs> this is all fun and games, but I get, you know, we're getting pretty close here. Like I, I wouldn't mind finishing the race, but like knowing it wasn't going to be that fast, knowing I still had like four hours ahead of me. Um, so that, that was hard. But yeah, like I said, I I didn't have any lows that actually threatened a dropout. Like physically, I didn't feel low. I just kept telling myself like what you told me, which is, yeah, this is pretty crap right now, but it's kind of my mostly my head playing tricks. So I'll just like carry on in this low knowing that it's going to end. Like this is just a, this is just a patch. This is just a patch of the race, but I'll like, I have to just keep moving forward and eventually I'll feel better. Yeah. And that's kind of all you can do. And all these little things, like you learned so much in that hundred K probably and more than you even know, really. And then the next one that you do, like all of these things get easier or you don't have to think about how to get through. Or your brain, no worries. Or your brain just like fixes it for you. Like it's, it's really cool kind of how you can adapt and suddenly hundred K doesn't seem that long and, um, you're doing a hundred miles and all these things. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like even, it's so funny that because of maybe social media and having you as a coach and just like talking to other runners that run that long, the idea of 100 kilometers right now isn't ludicrous. Like it's not that same feeling that I had in Garibaldi when somebody told me that they ran up Panorama Ridge. Like it seems like a, a, a huge amount, but it like I know people that have run that long and I, you know, like it, it doesn't seem like an inhuman amount of distance. Whereas my mom or like people that don't know anybody that runs 50 K's little on hundred miles are like, well, what do you mean? Like <laughs> people can't go, you can't stay awake for that long, let alone run that long. But yeah. Now all of a sudden it's doesn't seem like a, doesn't seem like a ludicrous idea. No, it doesn't. Does it? And like even running through the night starting at 5 PM was a new thing for me. And then you get into it and you're like, Oh, this isn't that bad. I'm pretty jacked up on sugar right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so last question when you got to the finish line, and I think, was it pouring rain when you guys finished? Oh, yeah. Yep. 
That sucks. I was. It actually was really nice. I loved the rain. It was. It wasn't ever cold. It was like just raining enough to make you not feel so terrible and like dusty and sticky from the night before. Oh, that's true. And I do hate the sticky. Yeah. When you get like again the sugar just just all over my body. Totally. I just feel like sugar <laughs> sticky, sweat sticky, like humid night sticky, and then it rained pretty much. It started raining like just after the sun came up, which was awesome. It was just sprinkling, and then like later on in the day, it started pouring, which. I was more than happy to see. Well, it sounds like the whole event was so much fun for you. And I was so stoked to see how happy you were each time. And then your guys' finish line photos are so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I was so jealous. I had none. Um, but that's okay. They wouldn't have been good anyways, is what I'm telling myself. You had, you had none because you finished while everybody else was still on the course. Like Matt Cecil was probably still photographing an aid station and you were like, done. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Um I think your mom like yelled when I came through aid stations. I think she knew who I was. So that oh yes, was they cool. all knew. They they had these like very blurry photos of you like running through aid stations. <laughs> <laughs> and they tell I always updates. I knew where you were the whole time because everybody would tell me. They, oh, that's so funny. Like yeah, Hillary came. We didn't even see Hillary, so she must have been here before we even got to this aid station. She's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, hardly, but thank you. That's nice of them to say. <laughs> <laughs> so when you finished and your stomach settled down a bit, assuming that it didn't feel great, what was the meal that you were craving most? Uh, what did you eat? I don't even know what I was craving, but what I ate at the finish line was a veggie burger and a beer. Basically one minute after I finished. <laughs> My stomach, like, I didn't want to have candy, that's for sure. But I was hungry. Yeah. Like, I was hungry for food at that point, which I thought was odd. Um, and I didn't know how a beer was going to feel, but it went down fine. <laughs> Well, that's um, good. Yeah, it was like an ode. It was an ode to the neck fat years, you know. Finish <laughs> 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 of the beer, and then we split. I think because there was five of us, like my three girlfriends, my mom and I. The split, I believe, five large pizzas and a bottle of champagne at our hotel room. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome! Yeah. Were you able to sleep that night? Uh yes, because I stayed awake with them. Like I think if I'd gone to bed right after the race and then like tried to fight through like all those. I mean, hormones and emotions, and I wouldn't have got to bed, but I think I stayed awake till like 1130. Oh, wow. Yeah. On purpose thinking like, I need to let all of this work out. I need to talk about the race. I need to like relive the moments and look at photos now. That way I can like settle and then digest this food. And I actually fell asleep. I was fine. Getting up in the morning. I like laughed out loud, getting out of my bed, thinking that you were already running 28 K. It took me honestly 30 seconds to go from horizontal to vertical so I have no idea how you were running during that time but well I came home and at about noon on Saturday took like a Robaxa set because my rib was out and a Tylenol and a gravel and slept until like 5 a.m on Sunday so we had very opposite Saturday nice Yeah. All right. Well, I have to get um, going. So thank you for being flexible. And I'm so, uh, that was just so fun to relive that with you too. And I'm so excited to see what you do in the future because you're going to do some amazing things. And thank you so much for taking the time. If our listeners want to see you on Instagram, do they have a place that you, are you public? I don't know. No, I'm private. I mean, it's, it's Emma Nunn, but it's private if they, uh, if they want to go look at a your last name is pronounced none I've been pronouncing it noon and you never corrected me <laughs> well I didn't I didn't have the opportunity I was gonna do it like after because your intro was already we we're already on the, we we're flowing already and I actually that doesn't make any sense aren't there two U's no because there's two N's and I didn't know that in my like tr- our training app like in training peaks you spelled it with two U's so I think that you thought that it says it's pronounced noon the whole time we've worked together Oh my God. And I'm looking at your email right now. And I have read that with two U's. <laughs> For two years. <laughs> I am the worst human. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go change it all right now. That is so funny. And you know what? Like Mike said something with your last name and I was like, idiot spelled it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He doesn't know. <laughs> oh my God, Emma. I'm sorry. Okay. I will fix that because I've said your name on the podcast before. I know. And I, this, so I always, whenever you mention me on the podcast, I'll like play it out loud for anybody that's around because I get so excited. But I remember when you're doing the race recap and you like said that I did really well, I played it out loud for one of the guys I was working with, but you said my name noon and he just went, hmm, that must sting. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell him I'm sorry. I just had the, the U and the N mixed up, which is, I think, fair. 
No, yeah, that's totally fair. fine. It is. Yeah, I apologize. You're talking about me, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's, that's, uh, people call my, my last name Spears instead of Spires. And I'm always like, oh, come on. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I'll, I'll make it up to you somehow. I promise. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too.